Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast. I'm Justice Stout. And I'm Michael Minkoff. And we're going to be discussing uh, throughout the course of this podcast the role of art and artists in the church and in culture. Definitely going to be engaging on a lot of different topics and a lot of instantiations of that. First, I I would like to uh, cast a vision for the podcast in general. Any thoughts on that, Michael? Well, I I think we want to relate the arts to Christians' responsibility, whether they're artists or not. Mm -hmm. So So not a specifically um, artist-centric podcast? No. No, in fact, I I would imagine that the majority of the people who are listening to the podcast would benefit from it because they're not artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, So enlightening non-artists to the role of the arts in the church, and and that means also the role of artists in the church, which I don't think a lot of Christians who are non-artists quite have a good grasp of at Mm -hmm. this point. Um, And it's not really their fault either. It's just really not been talked about enough um, for such an important topic, especially and then, but also I think artists would appreciate it as well. If for nothing else, I, we would like to hear from artists and people who are interested in the arts about these things. And, you know, just we want this to be a space to have conversation about the arts in the church mm-hmm. and around the church or, and around the arts. <laughs> you know, so. uh, yeah, I'm in total agreement. I'm really excited to um, start having these conversations. Hopefully we'll get some uh, guests in in the future, but... Um, this is our first attempt at making a podcast for either one of us, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Hopefully, we'll get um, some good doses of grace from our listeners from the first couple episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, our topic for um, this first episode, number one, is the two biggest lies about Christian art. Is that what it is? Mm-mm. Two biggest lies Christians believe about Christian art. About Christian or art. Or even about... The arts. And uh, this is an interesting one because there are, we, I, you know, in my mind, there are a lot of misconceptions about um, Christian art, what makes Christian art, even the title Christian art, if it's useful. Um, there's a whole lot to be, to be um, redefined about this subject. How we're, how, 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 why bring it down to just two things here? Well, because in my mind, the two biggest lies are sort of opposing lies, and um, which makes it very interesting. Because I actually think that the that the church is regularly divided into two camps when it comes to the arts, and this is how it usually works out. There's one camp in the church that believes art is superfluous, mm-hmm. that it's a that it is a luxury but they still believe that it is necessary for the adornment of things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a purely aesthetic approach to the arts, where it's like it's, it's necessary for beauty, but it's not communicative. The other side of the church says if art isn't communicative, we agree with you that it is a luxury or superfluous, then it's not necessary at all. And so, so just cutting to the chase right? Uh, before we get in the weeds too much. Yeah. What are those? What are those two lies? You just said them, but say them again. The two big ones are. So, so the two biggest lies, boiled down to their simplest form, is that art is. Well, let's look at it. <laughs> All art by Christians must present the gospel. 
Meaning if it's going to be art within the church, it has to be gospel oriented. And then the second lie, of course, is, is the, the flip of that, which right. is that uh, no art can, can present, present the, the gospel. gospel. Right. Um, so uh, I, think that, I think that the first one is probably a little bit more quickly understood. Yeah. Um, this idea that, uh, oh, you're a Christian, you're making art. So that means that you're going to make some, soul, some sort of um, cultural artifact that has, like, the gospel story in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least or something, some signal. A very clear or, redemption yeah. art. You're painting, you know, pictures of the cross at sunrise, you know. Right, like, right. You know, right. It's, it's got to be very straightforwardly, quote, Christian in order to be recognized as art that, that, that can be made by Christians and be supported by the church. Mm-hmm. It's like the church shouldn't support art. This, this lie basically says that the church shouldn't support, support art that isn't explicitly Christian in its, really in its message, in its right. like moral. Um, and so let's define some of our terms we've got of this first lie. So we're going to start talk about this first lie that some Christians believe that all art by Christians must present the gospel. Okay, and so we got to talk we, about a we, few things. We definitely need to define, I mean, I think the biggest one right off the bat is the gospel. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that. So let's talk about this idea of what exactly is the gospel in these terms. And we're going to talk later about a bigger view of the gospel, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. But right now, most Christians, when they think of the gospel, they think of an invitation mm-hmm. that is delivered to an unbeliever, and a call. And a call, right. So, so it's an invitation. So basically the gospel is Jesus died for you, accept him into your heart. Yes. And that is seriously, and, and sometimes people refer to it as like the Romans road. Right. So, you know, there are longer or versions the four spiritual of laws or whatever, but all of them, all of them involve an invitation to invite Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. That's, that's generally what people think of when they think of the gospel. Uh, you know, recognize you're a sinner, recognize that Jesus is the only way for salvation. Okay, so that, that is generally speaking what people consider the gospel. Um, and then you have this other part, which is the idea of present the gospel, right? So, so for most people, the presentation of the gospel is in words, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a piece of art... It can't speak the gospel because speak. it doesn't talk. Right. But if you're saying it must, then almost always you're forcing, like if you have a movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might tell a story and then at the end of this story, you might explicitly have a preacher like telling someone the gospel. Kind of like a Christian version of the Aesop's fables where right. you have a story and then I'll unpack it for you. At Basically, the end, this is the gospel and this, this is, is the what moral. This is what Yeah, the moral of the story is... So, and so then, we've just defined gospel. We've defined defined present. Um, has to. What do, what do people mean when they say that art, Christian art, has to or must present the gospel? I think what they mean is that without those particular earmarks of the narrow gospel message or narrow gospel invitation, the church should not support that art. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you can be an artist. This is. What they're not saying is that uh, Christians can't do this professionally necessarily. Right. But um, but if if uh, 
it's almost like you're expected, um, if you're a Christian and you're making it for a Christian audience, like at your church, or if you have um, an overwhelmingly Christian audience, you know, even outside of the church, um, oh, then you're going to make gospel-oriented Air quote, yeah. air quotes here, gospel-oriented art. Or you can make, you know, commercial ditties, and that's fine, and that doesn't... Um, but, but the church isn't obligated or responsible to support you. For the ditties, because yeah. that's... That's you're secular. Able to, that, that should make money. That's non-Christian, and so non-Christians can support that if it's good. Mm -hmm. Christians should support your explicit Christian art, whether it's good or not, which is part of the problem. Exactly. Yeah, which is part of the problem. So... So uh, anyway, so we've defined terms about this is what it means when whenever this is what we think people mean when uh, there seems to be an assumption that all art by Christians or at least uh, by Christians for Christian audiences must present the gospel. It's a pretty narrow definition of the gospel, um, and there's kind of a moral imperative in the must. Uh, so why? Uh, I guess what a lot of people would ask: Why not present the gospel? So like, it sounds like you're pushing. You know, it's not, you know, why wouldn't y'all present the gospel in art? Why wouldn't Christian artists want to constantly present the gospel? Yeah, so for this topic, I'd like to read a little bit, a little quote from a an article that I found called War Room is Just as Cheesy as All Kendrick Brothers Films. Uh, mm. This is on the Federalist uh, website. And what he says is really interesting because he mentions... That uh, while Alex and Stephen Kendrick, who have made like the Sherwood pictures, yeah, facing the giants, etc., um, have mentioned multiple times in past interviews that their films have inspired others to make first-time confessions of belief. Mm -hmm. That does not necessarily mean that's what the market is using their films for. So a recent Lifeway study revealed that the vast majority of Christian media consumers are self-proclaimed Christians. If you add the recent data points from Christian media advocacy group Faith Driven Consumer to the equation, it becomes clear that the Kendrick Brothers box office success is driven by a select number of religiously motivated consumers who are more interested in art that advocates for their view than in art that is aesthetically excellent. So if you, now you gotta unpack this idea a little bit, but the reality is, if you are giving a gospel-centered, a narrow gospel-centered piece of art that's basically an altar call, that's mm -hmm. basically a, you know, come to Jesus message, mm -hmm. and the vast majority of people are Christians. Are, are Christians already. You're, you have a theater full of Christians yeah. receiving an altar call, basically. Right. Yeah. What are you accomplishing? Right. Right. Now, that's not to say that you can't have, you know, obviously very biblical or explicitly Christian material that would be edifying to a church. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that the gospel isn't even in itself edifying and in need of repetition to us uh, on many occasions. But the point would be that if your point is to reach the lost, if that's your point, if your point with this is to reach unbelievers, mm -hmm. the reality is you're not. That's right. just it. That's a right. flat fact. You're just not. You're not reaching them. They're not there. They're not there. They're just not in the theaters. They're not in the theaters. They're not going to watch it. And if they do watch it, you have to ask yourself the question. Obviously, he says there have been those who have made certain kinds of faith commitments on the basis of these movies. The question would be, are those the kind of people who maybe thought that they were saved mm -hmm. or maybe were dragged there, had been growing up in church, already had a framework and a context for understanding this stuff so mm -hmm. that when they heard the gospel message... 
in those terms, in these propositional terms, they were able to receive it with all of this extra information. Mm -hmm. The real question is, how do you reach an unbeliever who's not in that context? How do you reach a larger number of unbelievers who aren't in that context? Um, real quick, yeah, I'm going to jump in and, and make a comment. I, it's really easy, and a lot of people do this, there's a little bit of Kendrick Brothers bashing. Uh -huh. And sometimes it's an easy target. Um, especially early on, their production wasn't as um, as high as you know movies with much larger budgets or right. whatever. Um, I think that um, there, I think I, I'm not out here to tear them down, and I'm not even saying that there's not a place for movies necessarily of that stripe. Um, but I think that it is not a good representation of what all Christian art should be. I agree. And uh, uh, not only that, I think you can make movies that are more effective at presenting the gospel if you actually do them in a way that makes a good movie. Absolutely. And we're going to get into we're that. We're going to get into that a later. More. So, so my main issue with Kend the Kendrick Brothers films is not that they're trying to present the gospel in movies, but that I, th I don't think they're doing a very good job of either presenting the gospel or making a movie. So put simply, yeah, the, one of the main issues right off the bat about making explicitly Christian art for Christian audiences is that you literally are preaching to the choir. You are. Like, that yeah. your entire audience is, pe it's an echo chamber. Right. You're just showing up, you're hearing what you expected to hear, and as far as view, growth Confirmation or... bias, it exactly. just continues to, to resettle that. So you're not even convicting the church. Mm -hmm. You're not challenging them in any way. And you're not reaching the world. And you're not reaching the world. So that that is that is the definition of flavorless salt. That is like the definition of useless salt. It's just not doing its job. Um, and again, I agree with you. I have no hard feelings against the Kendrick brothers. In a lot of ways, they are having to deal with the church as it is. Mm -hmm. And the church's view on these things is actually pretty messed up. So it's like, what are they going to do? They're sort of yeah. in a catch-22. If they were to make good movies that were like actually meant to challenge the church in a good and edifying way... They would not be popular movies. They would not be the Kendrick they, brothers. Right. There would be no movie. <laughs> there would like be no money there. Um, so, but the other thing is, okay, so I am in seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, recently I started taking a class on missions. So it's my missions class. And this guy comes in and he's from uh, Mission to the World. So he's from a really big organization, international, has a lot of clout. Uh, he's he was 15 years in Kenya. He was 10 years in Congo. Like he's been on the field. Like he this is a guy that knows about missions and where they are right now. The, one of the first classes we're going over the syllabus, and he tells us, "Okay, I want to explain this assignment to you. We have this paper assignment where we do research on a people group, and then based on our research on that people group, we have to design stories." So we have to collect stories either from the scriptures or I think he's allowing us even to write our own stories that are specifically tailored to this people group based on the research that we did. Stories. Mm -hmm. And he says, let me explain to you. I understand this seems weird that you're going to come up with stories as an evangelistic or a mission tool. He said, but that's what missionaries are almost all doing right now. In the past 10 years, there's been this massive transformation concerning missionaries where rather they're realizing that the that they have to contextualize the gospel for the listener. 
Isn't this kind of like what the Bible's been doing forever? You mean the whole already? entire Bible? Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's what's so funny. Or Jesus? Yeah. Or whenever Jesus he came. Parables, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so when he says this, I'm just like, I mean, alarms ding, ding, are ding, going ding, ding, off, <laughs> fires are starting. This like, is what I've been saying. Walls are bursting down. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like every, like everything. Is that the guy? Yeah. Did he just show up? Why is he here? Oh, it's a good story. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm I'm sitting there and I'm going, this is what we've been saying for this whole time. And, and here's the thing. We're not saying it for pragmatic reasons. We're, we're really not. You're just trying to be relevant to the world, Michael. R- right, right, right. No, that's what people oftentimes think. And I think that in some ways there's a backlash against that because they feel like, oh, you're, you're uh, watering down or diluting the message. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, nobody questions Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, or or Nathan the prophet. What must I do to be or, saved? Right. Give him a straight answer, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Don't water this one down. Right. This is a this is a lob ball. Right. You could really, but Not, but he does still. He he he's oblique. Yes. And the point of stories actually, and the point of art actually, is to be oblique, because it's as soon as people are in the safe waters of the pat answers. They either receive or reject them without thinking. But what art is able to do is it works sort of like an ideological Trojan horse, for good or for bad, mm-hmm. that people are, are able to receive it before they've decided whether or not it's true. They and like they it to, before they know what it is. Exactly. And so they have to think. I agree with that, but why? hang on a second. But, yeah. but what does it mean about me that I agree with that? I'm watching this movie, mm-hmm. you know, and I have these feelings that are being produced or these thoughts that are being produced, what does it mean about me that that is coming up? And then they have to really think about it and they have to wrestle with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus did. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to wrestle with it. And in so many cases, you know, we're talking in Christianese to Christian easers who, you know, who, who, and, and the content of what we're talking about, the real content of the gospel is actually not even being talked about. What does it mean to live in a world of sin? What are we being saved from? Mm -hmm. Who is Jesus? What was he like? How can I bring God as he is to where you are so that you see and meet him? Right. And what does it mean for the the whole scope of my life? This is what's also really interesting about um, art in the Bible is that you have examples throughout Scripture where you have no gospel presentation, which is unbelievable. Uh, a great example is Song of Solomon. I mean, you have, and you know, there are arguments made that, oh, well, it's an analogy, it's an analogy between Christ and the church, which c- kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's only an analogy if it's true in its primary sense, mm-hmm. right? So sure, it's a love song that's an analogy, but that means it's first a love song. Mm-hmm. And it is, just read it. I mean, you have this newly married couple and they are, very passionate for one another, and they're uh, describing their passions, and it's it's a beautiful picture of love, and that's it. That's it. It could be it. Well, what I'm saying is, it does that well first. Right. It is first of all a really good love story. If you were to say, um, God loves His church like a husband loves his bride, uh, that assumes a good understanding, an understanding of, oh, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's a passionate thing. That's a lusty thing. That's right. a, a, that's a thing I want to be a part of. Right. And so in order to establish that, you need a correct, uh, 
not even necessarily correct, but you you have a starting point of romance. Right. If 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 the relationship between Christ and His Church is a romantic one, what does that even mean? So right. in order to even, you know, even by the the Bible's language, if you're going to understand that metaphor, you have to have an understanding of romance. So let's do that. Right. If you want to understand Christ's relationship with the church and you want to explore that, write a really good love song, mm-hmm. a true love song, mm-hmm. a captivating love song, and you'll be that much closer. Yeah. And that's what Song of Solomon is. It's right there in the Bible. It's right. It's just hanging out right there. And then, but what it also creates is the opportunity for the listener or the hearer to ask, how can I get that? Mm-hmm. How, how can I, how can I get this thing you're describing, right. this perfect relationship, or this perfect love, how, or this perfect father, right? I mean, it's like you said, you know, if, if I'm saying our father who art in heaven, I, I, I want to understand what does it mean for God to be my father? Mm-hmm. What is it? Because maybe my context, in my context, maybe I'm an orphan, maybe I've been abused, mm-hmm. maybe all sorts of things. I want to know what is it that I'm looking at when you tell me that God is my father? What does that actually mean? And for the church, for especially creatives in the church, um, it's a crucial role to be able to paint those pictures, exactly. to be able to state that reality. Um, because sometimes that is not the reality of the world. Right. There are orphans who don't have fathers. So what does that mean? Hopefully they can look to Christian communities and the blanks have been filled in. Right. And a lot of that can be done through storytelling and Most of uh, it has to be done through storytelling. Right, exactly. Because I can't tell you what a father is. A father is kind. I can show you right. what you a father is. You can say a father is kind. Right. Or you can show a kind father. Right. And those are two very, very different things. And one of them is compelling and one of them is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So well, certainly without the other one, right? It is. It is true that <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. A father is kind, and right. that's fine. It's just I need to know what kind means. There's a lot more there yeah. that you have to explore, and I think that that's very true. And I think it's a wonderful. It we're incredibly blessed by God that He has given us. I say this all the time to people that I, I uh, talk to about this, but I saw this um, acronym one time. I think it was a bumper sticker. It was like Bible. B I B L E stands for instructions basic before. instructions before leaving Earth, mm-hmm. and I mean I saw this when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of cool, I guess. But like it, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't really think about it that much. But like a few years later, I, I remembered it for whatever reason, and I was like, that is so far from the truth. <laughs> that is like literally the opposite of what it is. You open it up if you're looking for an instruction manual and a step by step, you know. If you're looking for a, a collection of sermons, do not read the Bible. It has its sections. It if you but like maybe ten percent. Your chances of opening it up and oh, boom, yeah. At sermon, random, yeah, at random, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, if you're just gonna open it up and expect to find step by step instructions or, or a book of sermons or anything, you're not gonna find that. You're gonna find God telling first of all a lot of stories and throwing in songs and crazy prophets doing weird theater Very performances. Weird um, which is a huge gift that the Lord was willing to communicate to us on a level that's actually incredibly helpful. And compelling. Yeah. And interesting. And dramatic. We could and take some cues from yeah, the Bible. Yeah, we totally maybe. could. <laughs> That'd be... Yeah. Um, so, and part of, part of the issue is, you know, if you're not willing, as an artist, as an artist within the church, if you're not willing to explore uh, reality... 
for what it actually is. You know, Flannery O'Connor has this great quote, which I think you're going to read to us. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up. But but if you're not willing to explore reality as it really is, then what you're basically saying is, I can get people to believe the truth by telling a lie. And that is insane. Like, if they believe your lie, it's not the truth they'll be believing. And so, you know, if you've got like the Thomas Kincaid's of the world, and again, we're not trying to bash on them, which are, you know, they're removing all of these things from reality and trying to paint this picture that's really in cliches and stereotypes. And it's not, it, they're, they're narrowly focusing in on, uh, on, on these like boilerplate type of Christianese issues. Well, you're, you are, you're lying about not just the truth. You're lying in order to, pr- to present the truth. Yeah. And what, what good is that that's actually not good? good? Here, that yeah, let's, work. let's hear it from Flannery herself here. This is, I'm going to be quoting, by the way, Flannery O'Connor a lot, and I think the first few podcasts, you're going to have to forgive me. No, you're going to thank me because she's awesome. <laughs> she's awesome. And I'll grow out of it as this I mature. Is a, this is from Mystery and Manners. Yeah, and if you do want to look it up, which you absolutely should, yeah, Mystery and Manners. This is from the chapter Catholic Novelists. I'd give you the page number, but who knows what book you're going to order on Amazon. <laughs> so. Every day, we see people who are busy distorting their talents in order to enhance their popularity or to make money that they could do without. We can safely say that this, if done consciously, is reprehensible. But even oftener, I think we see people distorting their talents in the name of God for reasons that they think are good, to reform or to teach or to lead people to the church. And it is much less easy to say that this is reprehensible. None of us is able to judge such people themselves, but we must, for the sake of truth, judge the products they make. We must say whether this or that novel truthfully portrays the aspect of reality that it sets out to portray. The novelist who deliberately misuses his talent for some good purpose may be committing no sin, but he is certainly committing a grave inconsistency, for he is trying to reflect God with what amounts to a practical untruth. Mm. That's good stuff. So I think that's going to wrap up our discussion of the first biggest lie that Christians believe about Christian art, which is that all art by Christians must present You have the to preach the gospel. It have has to, to be the in there. It has to be explicitly gospel-centered, gospel-oriented. We've seen that art in the Bible is it's not, not like that way. That. We've seen that that's not necessarily even the most productive type of art. Yeah, it's not the best art, and it also doesn't even do a very good job of presenting the gospel, and the people who are willing to listen to it already have the gospel pretty much in the bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like most of them right. are Christians already. So so we've seen how that's a, a, a big lie, and it's a really big problem. But the second one is a little bit stranger, and that is that there are Christians who believe that art is not even able to present the gospel, or you could say that art is unnecessary for the presentation of the gospel. And I would say that most people fall into one or two of these camps, but I think a lot of people actually fall into both simultaneously, right. even though they're inconsistent with one another. Um, I think it's actually easy to kind of be thinking both of these things at the same time. Especially if you think the central idea here is that art is superfluous. Mm -hmm. The idea that art is superfluous or art is unnecessary. Both camps actually do believe that. Mm -hmm. Because the the must present the gospel camp says 
art is superfluous, but it's a good adornment right. for propositions. We can for pretty the up the truth that we way. It's an easier pill to yeah, go down. Exactly. Right. And then you have the second who says, well, no, if art is superfluous for presenting the gospel, then it shouldn't be used for that purpose at all. And because it can't be, because the gospel is preached, it's propositional, it's from behind a pulpit, uh, etc. So this is this is basically whoop, this is basically the uh, the idea that um, if you want to, it, it particularly is because of a definition of preaching the gospel or the gospel, which specifically is narrowed down to conversion, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole conversation. But um, so basically, the idea is: can you have a movie where? Uh, like you watch the movie and at the end you will could have been saved through the preaching of that well or you know through the story and with a movie it's easier because you can have a preacher on there or some sort of gospel telling but um what if it wasn't like that what if it was just a story or uh, what about a song could you just hear a song um about god not necessarily an altar call that's what the could, could you just hear a song about god or about creation and walk away from that song having heard the gospel and or and the most important thing having been been transformed in some sort of um uh sudden like i wasn't a christian before i heard the song i was a christian after i heard the song and a lot of people would say that is not first of all possible for art and but it's also not even the place for art right um but i guess we're mainly dealing with that first one like art can't even actually bear this right like it actually can't do that so possibly the best, um, I guess, exploration of this particular well, of this particular lie, we'd say uh, we found recently in an article on Kyperian commentary, yeah, uh, by Jesse Sumter, I think, who wrote it, and I actually replied to him, and he was very gracious with me. Again, you know, any of the things that we're attacking here, we we really don't have any pro- personal problem with any of the people who say these things our passion for this topic really has to do with a passion for the gospel and the scriptures, which we think are being misinterpreted or misused for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the sheep, for the sake of the church. So mm-hmm. we love all these people, really, honestly, yeah. I really do. And uh, But we still think that this kind of discourse and this kind of conversation is helpful, especially yeah. if it moves the ball, you know, like we Absolutely. want to move it forward. So Absolutely. And like, even mentioning the Kendrick brothers, like there are certainly some things I would want to do different. But uh, in one sense, they move the dial uh, in the direction of, hey, Christians should be making movies. Right. And that's that's great. great. That's great. That's great. Um, and and their movies have improved. Mm-hmm. They yeah. really have. I mean, so like maybe they've got a trajectory where, yeah, you know, eventually our our paths are going to meet and and we'll actually be making movies for the first time and we'll realize what a challenge it <laughs> oh, is to actually this do is. I yeah. hope to meet you someday, yeah. Mr. Kendrick. <laughs> Don't hate me. I lo- <laughs> anyway, so going back to this uh, Kyperian article, this is on, um, is it Kyperian? It's Kyperian commentary or something. I don't know. The yeah, you language. can Google it. You'll find it. Yeah. But um, it's a decently long article, but uh, you could basically boil it down to this contention. Um, he's Well, first of all, he's reacting against the idea uh, there's this phrase that like beauty will save the earth, 
or something like or Beauty Will Save the Beauty World. Beauty Will Save the Probably World. Probably Gregory it, Yeah, Wolf Gregory Wolf has said it a lot, but Dostoevsky, it's it's coined. Okay, yeah, okay. So does, it's a quote okay. from Dostoevsky. Okay. And uh, and it's from Brothers Karamazov. So, well, that just... Yeah. So, so you know, to... to, to we'll contend, clip that out, Rusty. To, <laughs> I'm just kidding. To, to contend with that quote really is to contend with one of the greatest Christian artists that has ever lived. So, I mean... You you really do have to come up against like Dostoevsky, <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. You it's go fine. for it. You do that. <laughs> All I'm gonna I'm gonna wait back here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So so is so is is that true? And um, the author of this article says uh, basically not so much. The first step. This is a quote from the article. The first step in recovering this proper relationship is to see the gospel as the spring from which all other cultural work comes forth. The gospel is the source. Source. This is why we have lame Christian art. We have lame churches preaching a lame gospel. A restoration of the preaching of the gospel is the first step in making good Christian artists. From this, we can see that the call of the hour is not good Christian art. The call of the hour is faithful preaching of the word. What's wrong with you, Michael? Why wouldn't you want the faithful preaching of the word? Yeah, so so this is where they always come back to. Every time I have this conversation, it's really, really, really hard to get people out of this line of thinking. Because when they think preaching, they think, really, a professional who is propositionally speaking from behind a pulpit. What do you, at, real quick, what do you mean by propositionally speaking? Okay, so, so propositional as opposed to incarnational. This is how I, I usually set it up. So so you have, or, or you could even say expositional if you're mm -hmm. willing to, to use that in a very particular sense. But expositional is also used in propositional talking. So blah, 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 blah. All right, so, but when I say propositional versus incarnational, or it really boils down to this, telling versus showing. Mm -hmm. So propositions are a way of telling. You're, you're, you're setting up a series of statements, declarative statements, whereby you can make an argument or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a systematic way of, of presenting an argument. Whereas showing... Could be in words, too. Okay. So it's not just that, you know, because you can write a story right. and people would read that story, but it would still be showing because what they're having to do is... Uh, imagine the 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 characters and and you know determine it based on its on its value as a as a showing thing. Yeah, right. I mean, going back to the idea of the father, you can say, um, father fathers, is kind. yeah, father is kind. Or you can write a story where or, a father demonstrates kindness, and right. that is a more of a showing, right, of fathers being kind rather than just telling saying, people the truth father is should fathership be kind. is yeah fathers yeah. are kind period right. and now you be. know mm -hmm. yes now, now you, know. you know now you know and the thing is that 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 privileges one particular kind of knowing which is not the only kind of knowing it's that, important it is yeah no doubt no okay. doubt no doubt i have no issue with that it is so we're not bashing no. propositional uh, sermonic Right. Ser sermon preaching. But I am looking back. I'm sitting here, okay, and I'm looking at the scriptures, mm -hmm. and I'm saying, on balance, what's the majority way that God has revealed himself to human beings mm -hmm. in the scriptures? Mm -hmm. Sola Scriptura, Bible. Yeah. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's look at the Bible. How is God revealing himself in the scriptures? Not propositionally, generally speaking. 
Okay. That's just the reality. So, I mean, I'm so, sorry. So how does that come down with, you know, so I'm sitting here saying, listen, man, we just got to preach the gospel. Right. And what do you say to me? I'm saying that the gospel is preached both in showing and in telling. So you're not, so what What makes this <laughs> such a s- difficult argument a lot right. of times is that uh, it's like, no, art isn't the problem. We need to preach the gospel. And we're like, no, no, art actually, does preach the gospel. <laughs> art is a very important thing because we need to preach the gospel. <laughs> exactly. have, it's like, listen, man, we got to preach the gospel. And I'm like, dude, yes, we got to preach. We got to preach the gospel. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but but I believe that art is necessary to preach the gospel. And the reason I believe it's necessary is because I don't believe that God would have used it to preach and reveal himself in the scriptures if it weren't necessary. Okay, at least he thinks it's necessary. God thought it was at least useful. Uh, yeah, yeah, he at and, least thought yeah. it was useful. And, and you know, there are lots of testimonies in the scriptures to this, but what they will say, they'll come back to you. This is what they always do. They come back to you and they're like, what about in Romans where it talks about how will they hear without a preacher? Okay, and again, they're talking about a narrow idea of what it is to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's the thing. I, I looked at this text recently uh, again and I started to realize that the text is actually making the opposite point to the one that the, you know, the Jesse Sumters and why good Christian artists aren't enough people are trying to make. And let me just read you the text, if that's okay. We're going to do a little bit of biblical exegesis here uh, because I think it's really important and it's also really fascinating. We don't want scripture. We just want art. That's- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is, this, is, this is in Romans, and, and Paul says, How then will they call on him, God, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how Boom. are they... Preaching. Right, preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It says, As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel. Right? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, now listen, this is, this is mind-blowing. But I ask, have they, meaning those who do not believe, not heard? Heard what? Heard the, the gospel? Right. Um, indeed, they have. And then he quotes from Psalm 19. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, can you look, look at Psalm 19 and tell me, who are the preachers? Who, what's preaching there? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Right. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and they're declaring, okay? Declaring is the word from which you would say preaching, okay? You could actually translate it preaching. The heavens are preaching the glory of God. Their expanse is preaching the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Listen to that. There is no speech, nor are there words, yet their voice is not heard, meaning you can't hear the voice literally. Yet their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. Okay, so what Paul is saying is that they have heard the gospel because they have the heavens. Mm-hmm. How can they hear without a preacher? They, they had a, a preacher. preacher. They have a preacher. The heavens are their preacher, if nothing else. And this is actually really, like, Basic standard Romans, theology. Totally. Because... Romans 1. 
Romans one, and yeah. we all, you know, most uh, Christians understand, um, you know, the the difference between uh, special revelation and general revelation. General, right. So special re- revelation is His Word, mm-hmm. you know, the inspired Word of God, Scripture. Right. And then you have general revelation, which is creation. But I, here in Romans, it's kind of a, an affirmation of general revelation as a tool for the, the preaching gospel. of the truth of the, the gospel, gospel, even of the gospel. Yes, exactly, and yeah. in a real way, like you can. The heavens declare, declare the glory yes, the of glory of God and His invisible attributes. attributes which, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no, it's 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 in Romans one, and he's sort of doing a callback to this Romans one idea. But see, you can see how when you really look at the the text and Paul's purposes in writing this overall, you see, well, actually, preaching the gospel is not merely preaching the good news. In some ways, preaching the gospel is also preaching the bad news. And the world does that, art does that, all sorts of things do that. It's really preaching the truth that we need. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that the truth is not one-faceted. It's multifaceted, and it's multimedia mm-hmm. Like, God, God has given the scriptures in many media. I mean, like, the, 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 the temple, the tabernacle... The stories, the narratives, the, the history, sacrificial the system. sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws, the the parables of Jesus, the the, the revelation of John. I mean, you, you look at the scriptures and you see the various different ways, the poems, the 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 um, the prophetic poems and visions, the mm-hmm. dreams, the etc. God has revealed himself in diverse ways. That's what it says, right? So 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 the main obviously trying to take about the main takeaway here is whenever there, there's this sense of like if you want to preach the gospel, send a preacher. And we're saying um, that is one way to do it. It's not the only way. It's certainly not the only way. And, and it may actually, not be the most effective way exactly. based or even, on God's own testimony. Or even the normative way. Like you look right. at scripture, how right. often is there a propositional sermon versus how often are there prophets doing right. uh, strange drama or um, singer-songwriters, David, right. the psalmist, or Jesus himself right. came, his almost his entire ministry was he says, the telling he's, of he's short... exclusively in parables from yes. then on. Yeah, so... And then you've got things like Stephen. Stephen's sermon is the longest sermon recorded in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It is almost entirely narrative. It is a narrative. Mm-hmm. It, he's just telling the story of the people of Israel and how they've always been rebellious, and now they're just as rebellious as they ever were, and now they've actually crucified their Messiah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole sermon. I mean, the sermon is a history. It's a narrative. Right. And again, just to double up, we're very passionate about this, but yeah. like... Uh, we, I, we both go to church. Yeah. I love sermons. I do too. I really do. I, I love sermons. A good sermon and, is a good thing. And, um, I think it's very, it's a very important, um, mode of truth. Um, but I would say that the main point here that we're trying to refute, obviously, is, is that, that, you know, statement, art can't preach the gospel. If you want to preach the gospel, if you want to evangelize, say, or if you want to, um, yeah, share the truth of God. Uh, you got you you know don't look to art for that you know like these Kyperian guys go to the wellspring right. preach the gospel and we're saying well actually we're all about that yeah. let's preach the gospel the way that like God, God did preached the gospel in the Bible right. and, and in His world. Son whenever He came yeah uh, and you know if you want a really short uh, you know quote from Scripture in order to at least I mean. 
It's a proof text. It is. It's a proof text. It and, is. And, you know, not always helpful, but sometimes. I, I Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. <laughs> it's a song, and it's a song that apparently turned somebody's heart to trust in the Lord, which that's salvation. So, yeah. so there yeah. you go. The Bible you can says. listen and you turn. I mean, yeah. it's just so art can be used uh, evangelistically, and we're not saying that all art. And we'll get to this later, but we're not saying that all art has to have the purpose of evangelism. And we'll be. We able already to talk. talked about that. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. We talked about it. We, just, yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just did. You know, and that's course. why it's important to deal with both of these at the same time. At the same time, right? Um, but. Uh, before we wrap up, I think that there's a danger to um, saying that art is uh, not you know, able to present not the able to present the gospel. It has disastrous consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main things is that it underemphasizes the importance of the arts in proper worship, which is a massive issue. Yeah. the The Reformation of worship de- kind of depends on the Reformation of the arts. Mm-hmm. It does in the Old Testament. It doesn't. It, it, it does. That it, it does. If you're gonna, if you have worship and you're singing, and you know, like mm-hmm. right there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna sing your, and worship. Your, your your communion with God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, especially as a community, as a gathered church body, is so often, um, done through creative means. That if these creative means are um, neglected then your relationship with God is going to suffer. Yeah. And it's also another another side effect with this um, playing down of art um, as being something useful to the church um, or, or important for the body is you'll, you will and you do, uh, if you're listening, just take a quick thought about your church body. Like how well are artists being integrated into... Uh, the body of the church, the yeah, life of the, the church. the body, life, and expression of the church. Um, I talk to so many um, artists. Most of them are like ex-worship leaders who talk about how um, their artistic um, and creative work is misunderstood or downplayed. Basically, what we need is a worship song. Play the worship song, but like... That's all that the church needs as far as creative output. And that's going to drive artists away from the church. And that's going to drive creative people away from the church. And it's actually even for non-artists and non-creative people. On some level, we're all made in God's image, which is creator. Right. And uh, we all engage with the world in real, tangible, creative ways. Right. And if we lose that aspect and we only, if the only way to access the truth is through sermons, you're going to have a lot of logicians mm-hmm. in your pews, and that is it. Mm-hmm. If you give it enough time, right. that will be all that are left. Right, and you see that that there's there's a real abstraction. Uh, there's an ex- abstractive capacity in most of the people who are sitting in the pews in Protestant churches today, mm-hmm. and that most of the ones who are looking for a more sensory, a more full sensory experience, tend to go to the uh, Orthodox or Apostolic traditions. Yeah. Because of that. And that's actually a huge movement that's happening. Out of the reform community. Out of Protestant churches into, or out of low, you know. Church Protestant. Low church Protestantism into either high High church church Protestantism or or Orthodox or Roman Catholic. And it's definitely happening happening in mass. We got to wrap up. Yeah. 
I, I do want to read one more quote from Flannery O'Connor <laughs> that really just crushes this. Okay. Uh, it's because it's talking about these two ways of knowing. So you have this propositional one, which again, we're saying is important, but it cannot be alone. Right. Um, here's her quote, and, and are we going to just end on this? Yes. Okay, we're going to end on all Flannery. The Hebrew genius for making the absolute concrete has conditioned the Southerners' way of looking at things. That is one of the reasons why the South is a storytelling section. Our response to life is different if we have been taught only a definition of faith than if we have trembled with Abraham as he held the knife over Isaac. Mm. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. <laughs> if you want to read more about these things, we actually, I've written a couple of articles. Um, it's called, Are Sermons Enough to Preach the Whole Council of God? And it's two parts, and you can check those out on renewthearts.org. And, and our, there's there's some good meat in there. There's more than we covered today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it and it 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 might challenge you a little bit, but you know that's good. And we want really badly for you to be involved in this conversation, especially and this early on. Yeah, for, yeah. Yeah. First of all, we we want you to join the conversation, but also right off the bat, give us some feedback on what we can do better for the uh, podcast. For the podcast. Yeah. So um, that's episode one. Thank you. And I've got some questions from the audience here. Uh, let's see here. Why is this being presented propositionally? That is a good question. Part of it is medium. Uh, I would say... We're on a podcast. We're on a podcast. Well, but the question is, why are we on a podcast? And I would say that uh, a podcast is a good medium for exploring this in depth um yeah we could do other things i mean we could have done a good bit of work and like told a story or something like that and uh honestly that would probably be helpful the problem is the people we're trying to convince uh with this they actually i mean they're they are trying to force everything to be propositional so in some ways we're trying to address propositional thinking people in terms that they're already comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, if the issue is that the church is already completely driven by propositional thinking, well, if we're even going, you know, it's not so much that we're artists trying to preach something, you know, or trying to say a truth that we have or, or, or you know, uh, present our art to the church. I consider, you know, Michael's more of an artist than me, but I consider myself more of a um, spokesman for the defense of artists. Right. So... I'm not necessarily saying, hey, we're artists and you should appreciate our art. I'm saying we are squashing the spirit of artists in the church. Yeah. We are. Look mm -hmm. around. We are. And, uh, and if I can reach people um, who are able to, you know, if together we can make a change for this, then that's great. And so, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do or whatever that saying is. And right. all things to all people. So we're trying to make a difference and, and start a conversation on it. Um, and this is one of the ironies just, of our ministry through this uh, throughout this whole entire thing. Is like, how do you get people who don't appreciate the arts to appreciate the arts? And it's like, well, you can't just give them better art if they don't appreciate or know how to appreciate art. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a structured. It's going to be it's going to take time. Yeah, it's going to take time. And, uh, and so we hope that this is helpful. And for those of you who want to present this in story form and other things like that, we hope that that inspires you to do it. 
and that it reaches more audiences because of that. And uh, in the future, though, if you guys want to hear stories, we can tell you. We can yeah, tell we you can. We can just we can spin a yarn. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but we have a ton of questions coming in here on the Facebooks and on Twitter. <laughs> You know, we can only cover one right now. I'm just kidding. This is our first podcast. Who are we kidding? That's it. This is a question from Rusty. No, it was he's like, sitting it's in the like booth. a three part question. He's in there. Why aren't you doing what you practice what you preach? Whatever, Rusty. I mean, I think we are. I wanted you to. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, 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 but. Oh, okay. We oh, do oh, want oh. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do want questions. Playing the devil. Do you really want to play devil's advocate? Don't, don't make me get in here. Uh, don't, don't make me jump in here. Thanks very much for joining. Comment, ask us questions. We'll be happy to talk to you. All See right. Down at the end of a boulevard, looking for love in another's arms. Sold her soul for the highest price But she was never satisfied We drove that road every night With a broken heart and bloodshot eyes He called her name with no Woman was his very wife. He'd say, Come home back where you belong. Oh, my heart is growing heavier the longer you were gone. You could wipe away the pain if only I could know that you'd come. But he chased that girl like a long lost bird And while she worked that strip on the boulevard This lonely cry was all she heard Come home back where you belong Oh my heart is growing heavier The longer you were gone You could Wipe away the pain If only Come home back